You're listening to a podcast brought to you by the Cloud Security Alliance, recorded live at London Olympia as part of InfoSec Europe 2017, presented by Richard Morrell. Recording at London Olympia, recording at CSA Summit 2017, recording with Raj Samani. Raj, say hi. Hi. You had your talk this morning. Give me a synopsis. Well, the talk really surrounded around this myth that public cloud can't be used for highly secure or highly sensitive instances. And what I did was actually talked about No More Ransom, which was an initiative we did with Kaspersky Lab, the Dutch National High Tech Crime Unit, Europol, but it was hosted by AWS and Barracuda. So I actually talked a lot about, well, here's a great example and a case study where public cloud can actually be used for highly sensitive environments. And you know, fortunately for me, because you know, we actually made a huge error in terms of estimating the number of visitors we would have had, the cloud was highly elastic and you know, it's remained touch wood, as it would anywhere here, but 100% uptime since launch. So it really began to discuss this myth and, and really challenge this myth around public cloud. Many companies taking those first tentative steps to cloud really think security is the stumbling point when in fact if you look at many of the cloud providers out there, the architectures they're standing up are far more secure than the cloud architectures they're looking to migrate. Well, and there is that myth, right? Was it IDC that launched it? I think it was in 2009 or 10 in which they said security is the biggest barrier to cloud adoption. And I mean, that's nonsense. I mean, we all know that, right? Cloud is not insecure. Cloud is just using somebody else's computer. And so in some instances, they would be more secure. In some instances, they'll be less secure. But the challenge really rests upon this concept of transparency. So you know, if I want to go and check whether we've got armed guards protecting our data centers, I could go downstairs and see you know, Richard, the, the security guard, and say, Richard, let me go and see your gun. And is it, is, you know, does it have bullets in there? Whereas you, know, you go to knock on the door at Azure and say, hey, listen, I want to go and meet your security guards. You can't, right? You, you know, you don't have that necessary that right to audit. So the challenge is really is how am I able to bridge that kind of gap in terms of getting that level of transparency that I need if I'm going to be putting all of our company secrets with a third-party provider. But you make the point that we are the first and last line of defense. As a society, as an industry, I think, well, certainly we as a community are. I mean... You know, I, I did a lot of talking today about the role of the security professional. And, I, I, you know, it was, it was remarkable. And I asked the question, I said, how many of you have actually spent more than half an hour with your CEO? And maybe, what, 6% of the people put their hands up? And, you, and that makes no sense to me. So I think we've got a challenge within our industry is to be part of that decision-making process. Because... Even me as a consumer, if I'm going to be buying an internet-connected toaster or whatever it is, I want to know that the security department have had a role in terms of developing this. And so we have to move away from this concept of security and privacy design, sorry, security and privacy by design being a marketing term and actually implementing it in practice because it's not. And that's the worry. But as education is an enablers, if you look at many organizations, I was in with a major pharmaceutical organization a couple of months ago, and 450 developers, 90 people in operations, you know, 16 people looking after the estates management, two people in security. <laughs> I, 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 
I, I, I don't know what to say to you about that. I mean, that's, you know, this is not about security. And I think that the sooner we move away from saying, I work in cybersecurity and or privacy and stuff, it's not. It's about trust in the digital age. And, you know, Poneman talk about this thing called the abnormal churn rate. In other words, the number of customers that leave you if, if you, you know, if, if you leak data about them. And, you know, there was a big telco here that lost 95,000 customers because a 15-year-old managed to do a SQL injection attack and steal data. This is not about security. And, and I think the sooner we move away from this construct that we work in, you know, malware defense or, you know, rans we start talking about ransomware, it's not. It's about the cost of doing business in the 21st century. And we as a community, I think we need to begin to change the way that we communicate and articulate the value that we bring to the organization. Because, you know, how many of us are going to stop, you know, with their broadband provider being with this particular company? Or, you know, if you read about a major breach, you know, there was a, a big fast food chain. You start to question this and you start to say, well, okay, I am not going to shop there anymore. So... We need to change the way that we communicate and maybe position ourselves. But talking about positioning, you, as chief scientist at McAfee, you have an open door policy when it comes to working with the other vendors as well. It's not it's not trade secrets anymore, is that? No, no, it's not. And and I think you know maybe that's something that we need to put to one side. You know, people will say, well, like you know, I talk about no more ransom being a good example of that. Well, why are you working with Kaspersky or, you know, we've now got Checkpoint and Emisoft and Avast and all of these other companies. And I say, but, you know, we're not in, in competition with them in that perspective because I, I talk about Crypto War version 3, but they made you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in ransomware. And what they did was they reinvested that money and they released version 4. Mm-hmm. You know, WannaCry is another example. You know, we, we see all of these threats coming out. And so it's, it's about time we maybe put these perhaps selfish kind of motivations as a society we've generally had and say, okay, look, our, our, our competitor isn't necessarily Palo Alto, but for example, it's the developers behind WannaCry, it's the developers behind CryptoWallets, you know, and it's changing and it's happening all of the time. And the only way that we collaborate is, and the only way that we can get ahead is by putting these selfish kind of reasons to one side, I think. That Friday afternoon when WannaCrypt started taking taking shape and uh, taking hold, I, I, I sat in my garden picturing you. It was a tough day. It's been a tough two weeks. Um, and, and, and in part, and, and to be honest, so we, I'm going to be publishing a blog in a few days' time. I've just got to finish it up. But there's so many things with WannaCry that just doesn't make sense. And so, you know, we, we're talking about a really, like, here's, here's the question. Was WannaCry successful? No. Well, it depends. Who you well, it depends what you classify as success. Is it, you know, if you think has it, has it started a conversation that's important? Yes, that's important. Well, you know, but the other questions are: look, if it really was truly a ransomware campaign, then no, right? Because it, they made a hundred thousand bucks plus. If the intent was causing mass disruption, sabotaging systems across the world, predominantly in you know, Western Europe and the United States than it was. So there's a lot of questions that we have about WannaCry, which were, you know, why would you have something which in some cases was elegantly put together? You know, we've, we've, we've torn it apart and, and, you know, I'll publish details of that shortly. We've torn it apart and we've looked at it and we've gone, well, actually, they're following good coding governance. You know, there's 
good data sanitization, they zero the keys afterwards, and all of these things happen, and you think, well, okay, that's well put together. But then you've got other elements of it where you go, well, why would you have a kill switch? I mean, really, why would, why would you have a, a mechanism or a payment mechanism and in an infrastructure mm-hmm. that, that points, like literally neon signs to three wallets yeah. that, that like, you've got a billion eyes on today? And the other question is as well, if it is a ransomware campaign, you've, you've set it up in a way that you can't actually decrypt people's data because when you make a payment, there's no unique identifier sent. I don't think it really was, was it? I think it was testing the waters. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, the one promise I have to everybody listening to this is we are continuing. We're not stopping, you know, and just because, you know, WannaCry is now you know, dying out in the media doesn't mean that we stop. It means it just means that yeah you know it's it's we we have to continue we have to try to understand the motivation we have to try to identify what why they did this who was behind this are they going to come at it again you know when they bought the uh, or when they got the access to the exploits are they going to buy the new exploits from shadow brokers I mean these are all of the questions that I think we have to answer. But it also asks questions of us as as an industry when actually you know. You had people with megaphones in departments saying, turn your machines off. That was just as much a disruption. Well, and, and that's the thing, right, is, you know, we talk about ransomware being an IT issue, but it's not. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the learning that we take from WannaCry, which is for the general world and the general society around, around us, this, you know, the, a, a cyber security or a cyber attack or a, that's realized has a very real impact. Now, I know the BBC had examples where people's you know, surgeries were cancelled and so forth, and that's a significant issue. But I mean, I saw this firsthand. I've got a, got a family member in hospital, actually just around the corner from here, actually. And he's been in there for about four weeks. And every time I'm in the UK, we'll, I'll generally go and visit him with the, with the missus. And on the Saturday, I was on about, I don't know, a couple of hundred, was it? about 400 messages an hour I think it was and um, I I remember talking to him and he said oh you know they've taken the you know they've they've switched the internet off in the hospital and I went okay well you know we're continuing to work on it and you know at the time we were working towards finding a decryption tool and I said look you know I think we we, it looks good we may be able to do something which might be able to enable them to bring it back up again Um, and of course for about a week the hospital had wi-fi down for a whole week and i went to go and see him on on, that was on a saturday we went back on the monday Uh, and and it sounds ridiculous but like just simply not having access to the internet was the only connection he had to the outside world and when i'm talking to him i can already begin to see and feel that it was having an impact on his outlook for things because previously he was quite upbeat and yeah you know we've got the surgery coming up on Wednesday and things are going to be okay and then all of a sudden you began to see a kind of degradation in his outlook about things Mm -hmm. so and that's a small thing right that's just we've switched off access to the internet all right and most people listen to this go well big deal right people had surgeries cancelled but when you actually sit down and, and look at the impact that something as simple as just a ransomware attack can have you begin to recognize and real that the work that we see, feel that the work that we do isn't about viruses or or trojan horses or ddos or you know all of these really cool words that only we understand actually it has a very real impact on society which is what i was coming back to earlier which is the work that we do has a broader impact upon society than perhaps 
even we recognize. I also think, you know, you've been talking about this for 35, 36 months publicly, <laughs> vocally. Um, do you think, you know, the stock of the, the, the IT professional who understands both the drivers for ransomware, but also the engineering behind it, do you think that's really where, you know, people can really add chops to their abilities? Yeah, I think people are getting bored of me talking about this now. I started talking about cloud and then ransomware and, you know, I, I you know, what I, here's what I'd like to move towards. I'd like to live in a world in which, you know, I ask the question at the next conference I speak at, and I say, how many of you have actually had time with your CEO? Mm. And I want more than maybe 6% of people putting their hands up. Because I, as a consumer, I want to know that it has the security department and privacy team who've had input into this new, into this new innovation. That's what I want as a consumer. Because, the, the, you know, the world has changed around us. I mean, you know, I, I, I wrote this paper called A Health Warning in which we talk about medical data that's being sold and stolen and being sold on underground forums. And I asked my 11-year-old daughter, I said, can you go and see what you can find for me? And we live in a society in which 11-year-old children can go out, hire hitman, order drugs, and buy stolen medical data or buy credit cards. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the society that we live in. And I think that's what we need to begin to articulate. And, not, and not, awareness doesn't work. Awareness is just a waste of time. Mm -hmm. It's about getting people to truly understand the value of the data that they have and begin to ask those questions of their providers, which are, well, okay, what did you do to protect my data? And, you know, when I buy this internet-connected doorbell, what are you going to do to protect the data that you're collecting about me? And when I, when I have this smartwatch on my wrist, mm -hmm. what are you collecting about me and where are you sending this data? This is, to me, is one of the biggest challenges that I think maybe we as a society and as an industry need to do better. We've talked about governance till we're blue in the face. Do you think people actually understand what it means? It's about responsibility as well. No, not really. I mean... You know, we talk about governance. I mean, look, let's be blunt, and I set this up there. You know, protecting an environment isn't that hard. You know, it, 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 I mean, okay, <laughs> I'm going to get flamed for that. But w what I mean by that is, you know, doing the basics takes you a long, long way in terms of protecting yourself, but it's hard. I mean, you know, we talked about 20 billion devices, 50 billion devices, 100 billion devices, even my own house. I mean, Richard, how many IP devices do you have in your own home? You know, and, 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 and I've got like, what, 45, 46 now. But IPv6 is going to make this so easy. Oh, yeah, exactly. And how many people have the skills to protect environments for IPv6, right? These are the challenges that we face. But I, I genuinely think that, you know, good cyber hygiene can go a long way towards mitigating and protecting yourself. But the challenge is, is, is going to be these, these devices like we talk about you know, internet-connected toilet roll holders and toasters and fridges and all of this stuff. And I think that's great, and I can't wait to get these devices. But the only way that we're going to be able to change and sh change the way and force these manufacturers to come back with, you know, not using things like default passwords, is through market conditions. Because it's a global economy, and, you know, how... Like, you remember with VTech when they had... Uh, yeah. Yeah, right. So the VTech example where they turned around and said, well, we're going to edit our privacy policy and we're not going to be responsible for protecting this data. Well, okay, you're going to have manufacturers that may just shrug their shoulders and say, well, we're not responsible for protecting data that you send to us. And of course, 
they can get away with it because we as a market say that's okay. But I was listening to a podcast the other night which run by Kurt Seafried from the CSA and uh, Josh Precious, ex-Red Hat and now Elastic. And they made the point that bolts, simple bolts and screws, are produced to a standard, i.e. if it says it's going to hold 40 kilos, it's certified and ratified to 40 kilos, and that's a $1.06 bolt. So the, the fact is there is a regulatory body out there for a bolt. Now, can we do the same for a $10 device? I, I don't think it's... You know, I think it's... Uh, so we, we do this a lot, right? We try to look at analogies in the physical world to try to get them applied to, apply to the digital world. And I think in principle it sounds feasible, right? But then that's a point in time you can test a bolt and you can put 40 kilos on it and you can say right tick but how are you going to do that for a digital device in which you say okay this is now like we talk about kite marks for example mm -hmm. you're going to test it against this all, all of the threats that we know about it and you say that's been tested and tomorrow morning shadow brokers dump something else and all of a sudden that that point in time when you say <clears throat> that's now secure and we're okay and you've got 50 million devices out there being sold and you've got all these kite marks, which quite frankly don't protect you against the threat that we found 20 minutes ago. So that's the challenge that we face, is that, is that we're trying to use these analogies. Like, I, I, you know, what, what other analogies do we use? Cyber war, cyber crime, cy cyber sex. I mean, everything, we try to put cyber in front of it and, and, and put an analogy that it's a physical, there's some physical thing to it. But look, there are some similarities, but it is different. And we have to recognize those differences and maybe figure out new ways to do things rather than look at archaic mechanisms that we've used in the past. Raj, it's been great having you on the podcast. I'm going to let you fly. Thanks for making the time. Hey, anytime. Thanks very much.